perfect, okay? Proven or, or exemplified by what verses? Well, he's trying, he's, he's, re, he's establishing Joshua. Yep. Interestingly, he didn't establish um, a king. He didn't establish a prophet. He didn't establish an evangelist or a missionary. Those are all very, very important. He established a high priest. Or re-established, I should say, re-identified. Right. Why? Why a priest? Why a high priest? What is the one thing? Let me link it a little bit better. What did he say that he was as he as he began in um, chapter or verse three to talk about Joshua and goes into um, four, giving him this robe? What is he saying? That he's taken away. He's taking away his dirty garments. Uh, taking away his dirty garments. Yes. It's iniquity. Yes. Iniquity. Okay. I, what is iniquity? Bloodline sin. That's right. Iniquity. There's sin. Sin is when I miss the mark. Sin is when I um, just. I missed the mark. I, I, just, I just didn't do that right. Um, iniquity is a much deeper, and it um, a, a much deeper cyclical pattern of bondage or sin that we find ourselves in cyclically that we can't seem to break free from completely oftentimes it has bloodline affiliation like generational curses or things like that it's come down to the third and the fourth generation has been being dealt with for a long time but it's a pattern type of sin or bondage you find yourself into those same things um we we, we talk about that with things like addiction with things like um sexual perversion with things like um, uh, heart issue sins, we, we find that they are deep patterned sins that people have a very difficult time breaking out of. Sometimes if they are free from it for just a little bit of time, they typically fall back down into that. Um, and that is what he chose to remove, the iniquity, that deep DNA level sin stuff. He chose to remove that, and he said he removed it in one day that it would be removed. Cleansed him. So it's intentional sin. It's intentional. It's intentional. You know it's wrong. You know it's wrong. But you continue to do it. Now for most people we would say to them, Well, dear goodness, just stop sinning. What's wrong with you? Just stop. But how many of you know and how many of you have lived seasons of your life where you know that thing is wrong, but the iniquitous sin pattern has such a hold on you that even while you're committing the sin, you're like, but I know this is wrong. Yep. I don't want to do it. You'll be driving to the location to sin, saying, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Driving there. It's a, if you've not ever experienced it, please don't ever experience it. But it is a true phenomenon that happens. That's that iniquitous stuff that he's removing, that thing that you feel like won't ever get fixed, won't ever get solved, won't ever truly go away, I'll just have to deal with it at some level my whole life. That's the stuff that he's talking about. Why did he do that for the high priest? Why is it a high priest that he did that for, not a missionary, evangelist, preacher, teacher, prophet, high priest? So is he the only one that could have time for the sense? That's exactly right. Because it was for him, for all. This was a prototype of Christ, right. right? Christ dying on the cross. One died for all of us. This is a prototype. This is what he can do in one day. Now let me tell you this. This is the exciting part. What the Lord wants to do. Now Jesus Christ took care of this overall. We know that. 
for salvation and for us to spend eternity with him. He, he, he took that stuff that we could never fix and that we could never change. Do you think that there are people right now that are steeped in patterned, intentional sin, iniquitous sin and bondage, that the Lord intends for that person that's in it, maybe it's a drug addiction, maybe it's a porn addiction, maybe it's a lifestyle um, sin, maybe it's a sexual sin, maybe it's a gambling addiction, maybe it's something like that, maybe it's uh, witchcraft, maybe it's those kind of dark and, and, and demonic things that people are. Do you think that he right now wants to remove their iniquity and then use them in a position of high priest to minister to other people stuck in that same iniquitous bondage to show them the way out. Sure. That's what he's talking about. That's what he's doing with the church right now. That's why we were asked to read this. That's why we were asked to focus on Zechariah 3. Specifically starting with the very beginning verses where he says, He showed me Joshua, the high priest. So there's all these people in the body of Christ. Some of them aren't even yet in the body of Christ, but some of them are. He showed me these high priests standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan was standing at the right hand to oppose him. That Satan keeps opposing these people without iniquity all the time. Keeps opposing them all the time. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? You are a brand plucked from the fire, and I am a brand plucked from the fire. We are the ones standing in this position that Joshua was in. We are standing there in front of the angel of the Lord, Satan, right over here saying, rah, 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 accuser of the brethren, opposing all the time. They just did that. They still struggle with that. They just failed here. They just did that. And, he sa and the Lord steps into that situation and says, Satan, the Lord rebuke you. Not me. Not just me saying, I rebuke you. I rebuke you. That's powerful, especially if I say the name of Jesus. That's obviously powerful. But the Lord stepped into this situation. And once he said that, when he said, Satan, the Lord rebuke you, this is a, this is a brand plucked from the fire to be able to ignite revival for people. And then he began removing iniquity and washing Joshua and clothing him with white, clean robes. That's what he's doing right now. That's what he's doing during Sukkot. That's what he's doing. We are going to see some of these brands plucked from the fire emerge during this time. We are. And it's going to be a matter of what we talked about earlier. What are you willing to offer in the fire for when he comes down to say, I rebuke you. The Lord rebukes you, Satan, for all the iniquitous things you've been opposing them with their whole life. What is, what is being offered there? And he's going to respond. He's going to respond, and this is how we want him to respond. We want him to respond by saying, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. This is a brand plucked from the fire, and I'm going to use him for great things. And then he went on, as you can see, in chapter 3. Now, let me just quickly read um, chapter 4, because uh, if you can imagine, Zechariah um, gets even a little more crazy here. As we go on, he says, now the angel who talked with me came back and weakened me. Isn't that just like, <laughs> as a man who, he, he wakened me as a man who was wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? So I said, I am looking and there's a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. 
and on the stand seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl and the other at its left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? And the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? This is like my conversation with the Lord all the time. What is this? Do you not know what that is? No. What is it? What do you think it is? Wait. <laughs> and I said, No, my Lord. So in verse 6, So he answered and he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord, which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. And then I answered and said to him, What are these two olive trees at the right of the lampstand and at its left? And I further answered and said to him, and, and what are these two olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two gold pipes from which the golden oil drains? And they answered me and said, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord, I don't. So he said, These are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. So if you read that first portion there, it's talking about um, him, him coming to and saying, what, you know, what do you see? And he sees these uh, lampstands and, and all of this real prophetic imagery and all of these things. But he, in verse 6, is when the real prophetic word starts. And he said, all these things, all these things aren't going to happen by your strength and by your power. It's by his might. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And this is where he goes on to give us prophetic directive of how to deal with those iniquitous things in our life. Those strongholds, those barriers, those bondages that seem to keep us, even when we know better. We know better than to have unforgiveness and bitterness. We know better than to think poor thoughts towards that person. We know better than sexual sin. We know better. We know it's not right. And, and yet we continue to do those things, and he gives us a prophetic directive here. Not by your might, not by you just great self-discipline and self-will and, you know, refraining from all these things. He says, who are you, O great mountain, mountain of sin, mountain of perversion, mountain of addiction, mountain of uh, unforgiveness, mountain of offense, mountain of trauma? Who are you? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, meaning just flat ground. This won't be this mountain in my life anymore. And he shall bring forth the capstone. And here's how he's going to bring the capstone. And by capstone, it means, uh, you, know, you know that thing over our um, cistern out here? That the Sam glass, it's a huge piece of tile. Very thick, very heavy. It caps it off. So it can't, what's underneath there can't come up anymore. It's capped off. That's what a capstone is. That's how you stop iniquitous blood patterns, blood sin things in our life. You cap it off. It stops. You break it. You break that sin cycle. You cap it off, and it can't come back anymore. And you think, okay, well, the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to repent more. I'm going to fast more. I'm going to read more books about not being a heathen. Those are all good things, but this is the prophetic directive out of Zechariah that we are to be functioning in right now in this season for any of those iniquitous sin patterns. It's not by your might. It's not by your strength. It's by your power, and it comes by doing this in verse 
7, the very end of verse 7, it says he shall bring forth the capstone on top of that thing once and for all and, and keeping that thing under wraps with shouts of grace, grace to it. And so your job during this time, whatever that iniquitous sin is, that iniquitous thing that seems to just ah, always be there, and even when I know better, oh, I did that again. I was, I was rude to that person, or I was impatient with my spouse, or, or uh, I committed that same sin again, even when I, I know it's not right. Your job is to say, grace, grace to that mountain. That's your prophetic declaration in this time frame, in this season right now. And a capstone is going to be put on that thing. And it's not going to be the mountain in your life that it was before. It goes on to say in that chapter that because of that, because Zerubbabel took that prophetic directive and said, grace, grace to those things that kept trying to be an iniquitous sin pattern, it went on to say, the Lord was pleased to see the plumb line of truth in the hand of Zerubbabel. Mm -hmm. Once that plumb line, once that capstone is on that iniquitous stuff in our life and it isn't functioning, we've said grace, grace, the empowerment to not sin, the empowerment to not sin. That's what grace is. When we have declared that over that mountainous iniquitous thing in our life and now there's a capstone on that, now the plumb line of truth is held in our hand and we're able to bring other things around us and in other people to plumb. We're able to lead them to plumb and true and true north and what is true. That's the prophetic directive. Now, it's all laden on or hinged on what we talked about earlier, those who are willing to lay down those things we talked about, lay down offense, lay down bitterness. Your future will be determined with these things. If not, you aren't eligible for this. <laughs> this, this can't be because um, you're, you're too hindered by those, those hard issues. So don't let that, don't let that bowl of soup stop you, don't. Nothing is worth it, nothing is worth holding, being a standard of the plumb line of the Lord and being something that others can be drawn to as truth in a time where no one understands really what truth is. Everyone has truth that's relative. What's right for me and what's right for you and what's right in this instance and, and in this geographical area. Don't you want to be a standard of truth? Not so you can be right. Not so you can be right. So they can be free. Yeah. Truth sets you free. Right. Truth doesn't make you right. Truth sets people free. That's what we want to be. Beacons of freedom for ourselves and for others. That's what these declarations will do. Okay, let me read you one last thing out of John. We're going to go to something I can actually read, which is the New Testament. John 1. And I only want to read you one verse out of there. And I thought I had it. Maybe it yeah, it's supposed to be what it is. Oh, yeah, there it is. Okay. Let me start in uh, 43 just because it's a nice break, but I really want to really want to focus on verse 47. It says, The following day Jesus went uh, wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip uh, was from Bethsaida, the, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses is in the law and also the prophets once, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, said of Nathanael, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no, what does your say? In whom is no? Guile. Guile. Deceit. 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 
deceit. Do you know what that word guile, in addition to deceit, obviously, but do you know what the real original Greek word for that is? Offense. We want a Nathaniel anointing, right? We want a Nathaniel anointing on our life that when Jesus looks at us, even when we question things like, Lord, what are you doing? Lord, where are we going? Lord, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, what are you doing? Do you know what you're doing? Even in those moments, we want a Nathaniel anointing where the Lord looks at us and says, look at him. There's no offense in him. There's no offense whatsoever in him. That's what we want. We want a Nathaniel anointing. So when you find yourself praying for yourself, praying for others in this time, pray for a Nathaniel anointing that Jesus would be able to look at us and say, there's someone with no offense inside them. And thus, other people would be able to see that so there could be unity. Yeah. Unity in the body, unity in relationships, unity in the body, unity with him, unity with each other, unity. That's, that's what we want, right? I, don't, I, I know we can't do Woodstock. Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. But it's really true. It really is true. Let there be no guile in me, mm-hmm. no, def- no offense in me whatsoever. That's where we want to go. Okay, before we end, just tell me, what do you think? Any thoughts about these? Any thoughts about the Lord rebuking Satan and it, it turning into this, him taking iniquity out of our life? Any thoughts about the mountains of iniquity that tend to be in our life and us uh, bringing a capstone that that can't have any further movement in our life by saying grace, grace to those mountains? Any thoughts about the Lord looking at us and saying, now there's someone that doesn't have any offense in them. Any thoughts about that? The the iniquity thing spoke to me and stuff um, because, like, if you're trying to get free from something, a lot of times it just keeps, like you said, it just keeps coming at you. And you can sit here and repent and do all these things and seek deliverance, but there's other times where it's like even deliverance and all the other ways of going about it doesn't happen. And you just got to realize, like, in my identity in Christ, I have the fruit of self-control. I have grace available to yeah, me. Yeah. So I'll speak grace to that situation, that's right. That's right. believing that there's a grace of self-control in this situation yeah. to walk out the commands of the Lord or whatever it is, the direction of the Lord, the prophetic word the, that he gives to, to walk in victory over top of that circumstance, over out of that iniquity. That's exactly right. And you, you said that, too, when we started reading. It's about identity. Yeah. It's about identifying the high priest as the high priest and rebuking Satan and all of his accusations. Do you think that meant Joshua had been perfect that day? Well, of course not. Of course not. But he was rebuking him and removing him out of the way to establish identity in Joshua. For Joshua and all the people Joshua would influence. The same with me and you. You guys are brands plucked from the fire. You are supposed to lead others out of addiction. You are supposed to be the ones that hold that plumb line, that lead others out of sexual perversion. You are supposed to be the ones that lead others away from divorce and lead others into healthy marriages. You are, you are brands plucked from the fire. And we need to have that identity reimagined upon us, reinstated upon us. Well, it all... says in Timothy that we're a royal priesthood. We're mm-hmm. a royal priesthood. Yes. So we're, we're priests ourselves. So Yes. Yeah, we, we, are, we are Joshua. That, that, that is who we are. He created us to be that, for sure. I'm excited to see the, the brands plucked from the fire that he has for this next movement. I'm excited. There are, there are um, Todd Whites among us. There are Billy Grahams among us. There are Catherine Coleman's among us. There, 
There are all kinds of uh, deliverers, healers, ministers, administrators, evangelists, missionaries, all kinds of them among us. We just have to get rightly established back into that identity, get that iniquitous stuff off of us, get the capstone over those um, sin lines and, and repetitious sins in our life. And your only job is not by might, it's not by power, it's by grace, 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 speaking grace, grace to that, empowerment to not sin to that. Remember when Paul said, oh, I got this thorn in my flesh. Please take it away. Three times he asked the Lord. And the Lord's like, yeah, no. Yeah, no. By the third time he said, Paul, my grace is sufficient. Mm -hmm. And many people preach that and they say, so don't worry. There's grace for the thorn in your life. There's grace. He'll forgive you. No. Grace isn't just a way to deal with it or modify your life to still have that thing. Grace is an empowerment to not be affected by that thorn, to not have any effect in your life by that thorn, by his grace only. And so that's what we speak. Grace, grace to that thing in our life. And it is enough. His grace is enough. Anything else? Okay, well, I'm going to pray and wrap this up, and then we're going to have a little bit of an afterglow. All right, Lord, we are so thankful for this, for these prophetic words, for these prophetic directives. I'm so thankful, Lord, of the power that is in your word, the logos, the rhema. I'm thankful for this season that we're in, Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. I'm so thankful that we're about to enter the time where even more overtly than every day, you're going to tabernacle among us for this next week. We're going to set aside time for you, and you're going to tabernacle among us. Lord, we offer ourselves to you. We offer our time. We, we thank you for your presence. We, we thank you for your faithfulness to meet with us. We thank you in advance for the revelations, the prophecies, the direction, the healing, the impartation that you're going to give to us this week. We thank you in advance. This is a highly prophetic time. Lord, I pray that tonight we would all choose to make the decision to lay down offense, to lay down bitterness, to lay down unforgiveness, to ask you to bring, to replace that with joy. And the joy of the Lord will be our strength. We ask you to replace that, Lord. We're looking forward to this season. We're looking forward to our time with you, much like you did with Adam and Eve in the garden when, when you would walk with them and you looked forward to that time with them. And when they weren't there, you wanted to know, where are you? I want to walk with you. I want to be with you. And we look forward to that time with you this week. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs>